Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. My guest today is the screenwriter, director, producer, and campaigner, Richard Curtis. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Love Actually, Bridget Jones's Diary, Blackadder and the Vicar of Dibley are just some of his legendary work in film and television. But he has also been described by The Times as a relentless humanitarian activist, and with good reason. Having co-founded the charities Comet Relief and Make Poverty History, as well as the 2005 Live Aid concerts alongside Sir Bob Geldof. From reinventing the rom-com to rewriting history, to even reimagining how to make your money matter. This is the story of a creator and a campaigner for whom change is the destination we all need to reach and love the path we must take. Little wonder then he provides us with a tip for life that to make things happen, you have to make things. Richard, welcome to Changemakers. Look, I'm exhausted just <laughs> listening to that. How old must I be? I'm exhausted having just read it. I mean, what a, what a, what a biography. But listen, to kick us off, I was thinking about this. I want to take us to the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport mm-hmm. and to the words of Hugh Grant's David. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. How do we look for love in a world that is finding just the human experience so difficult in this COVID generation? Well, look, can I just say, by the way, my children just mock me so relentlessly in every airport we ever go to. Uh, they're always <laughs> saying, whoa, there's not, 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 not as much love around as I thought they'd be here uh, in Terminal 3. No, I mean, I always think it's easy in a way. I think, you know, COVID's been such a bizarre time But many of our experiences of it have been, you know, watching bad things happening on the telly, but experiencing family love and the love of friends with an intensity you wouldn't expect. You know, I think it is there when you look for it. And, you know, one of my major bits of luck in the world in terms of comic relief and everything is I do find it very easy to imagine that people who are very different from me are as keen to have the circumstances in which they can simply you know, exercise love in their lives Mm. in the way that I've been lucky enough to myself. Is that your take then? So our our kind of like personal experiences are are different from the kind of global narrative of of gloom and doom that we are finding things about ourselves, that the actual human experience is therefore potentially more more positive, more loving than it might currently be suggested. Yeah, and more funny. I mean, look, I, I've got a very schizophrenic life, as your summary said, you know, from, as it were, Mr. Bean to the seriousness of visiting camps in Ethiopia. Mm. And I, I think that it's possible to keep both those things in your mind at the same time. It's not one or the other. I mean, but, but that, I suppose, is how the debate is currently being sort of, you know, talked about in the world at the moment in terms of are we are we resetting the planet do things like you know clap for the nhs or community activity does that does that speak to one route whereas on the other hand we look at you know the sort of the the overwhelming challenges on climate change and other sorts of things where people say it's, it's just so overwhelmingly bleak can you keep your foot in in both both camps credibly i guess oh i think definitely you know because in fact going back to you know you've got to make things make things happen you've got to make things you know throughout the covid thing there's just been incredible work going on with every nhs worker don't think about the clap think about what they've actually been doing and for me one of the big shocks of COVID was the rise in this same 18 months 
of these particularly youth movements, you know, the Me Too movement, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter, people are actually, you know, Fridays for the future, people are actually looking for solutions, businesses are doing much more than you'd expect on sustainability. You know, if you only look at the big negative, you'll never see all the huge positives that are, you know, slowly, yeah. I think of life like a tortoise and a hare, really, the noisy tortoise of news, I mean, the noisy hare of news is endlessly saying, you know, bad things are winning. But meanwhile, the benign tortoise is trudging on and getting things done. And I suppose, is the tortoise love? I mean, back to this idea, I've read that you said that growing up, your obsession was love. I mean, it seems to be a, a recurring theme in terms of that part of the human spirit, that part of the human identity in terms of its ability to make extraordinary things happen. Tell, tell us a little bit more about it and what it means to you. Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose I would say, you know, you broaden the interpretation of the word love to mean sympathy, you know, and compassion and taking action in a way that makes other people's lives better. And then I do think Love is at the core of it. I mean, it's certainly not got much to do with Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant, that's for sure. How we're going to solve the world's problems. The world's problems would probably best be solved if we got rid of Hugh Grant. Um, sure. but, <laughs> so, uh, but I do think that, you know, love in action is, is a huge answer. I interviewed a fellow collaborator, uh, Michael Morpurgo, author of War Horse, and, uh, which famously wrote the, wrote the script for the, for the film adaption of. And he was saying, you know, I mean, effectively, I think what I took from his message was kindness. And he talked about always finding that way to look on the bright side of it. And that for him, there was a, a technique, a, a kind of way of approaching the world. Do you, do you think that in your writing, in your work, it's helped you find ways of explaining the world to yourself, of taking that view? And, and if so, what, what would that be? Well, look, I mean, I think the romance thing is a bit of an obsession. I think it's crucial and huge in people's lives. I actually think, you know, the power of friendship is a huge thing and sort of the second theme in my, uh, you know, in my work. And I do think that is key to a lot of people's happiness. But my experience does not tell me that things are bad. You know, comic mm -hmm. relief, you start, we expect to sell 50,000 noses, you sell 5 million. You approach schools around the country saying, can you take a day off to do good stuff? They do. You go to Sainsbury's and say, will you you know, help us work on this. They don't push you aside to the CSR. They let you into the stores. So, you know, my experience, and I think I, I often, you know, worry that writers look for the worst thing that's ever happened mm. to them and say that's the truth. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm just in a way trying to represent the rest of us who often find things to be benign and hopeful. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, I've, I've got here a quote about you saying something quite similar, that if you make a film about a man kidnapping a woman and chaining her to a radiator for five years, it's called a searingly realistic analysis of society. If I make a film about people falling in love, it's called a sentimental presentation of an unrealistic world. I mean, do, do we have to fight for that world, do you think? Or, or maybe fight's the wrong word. We have to stand up for it. Well, look, I think it's great that there's often so much entertainment that's joyful and positive. I mean, I do think that what people are realizing these days is we are in it together and there are lots of ways of doing things you know I, I in a funny way think my career has gone from you know believing in charity give your money away let someone else do it to push the government you know that was live eight make sure that they double aid you know from richer countries and now I think we are living in the you know 
what can I actually do in my own life era? I think people are thinking, is the place I'm working, is that doing okay Mm. on diversity? How am I behaving with regard to gender equality? What am I doing for the climate? How can I apply extra pressure? So being an activist yourself, actually getting up and doing things. Activism as defined very broadly. Activism, great if you support the campaigns, but also in all the little decisions, especially the financial decisions. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I mean, you know, you pose the question, what if pensions could change the world? I mean, a lot of people haven't even thought about how to make their own money matter, but you see this as a key way of actually people helping take control of the good things they want to see happen. Yeah, I mean, that is something I'm very obsessed by at the moment. You know, I got into it through watching a TED talk of this woman called Bronwyn King, you know, a practicing cancer doctor, has a meeting with her financial advisor and finds out that three of her top six investments are in cigarette companies. She's Mm. killed more people in her career than she's saved. So, I mean, that is an interesting example. Look around, you've got a pension. It's probably the biggest weapon in your armory. If you move it into a sustainable pension, it'll be supporting all the businesses and all the things that you really believe in. And that kind of analysis of our own lives. And and look, she's a great example. This is about change makers. She was just a doctor and she has now started a campaign that I think has pulled, you know, a trillion out of investment in cigarettes. I was pathetically unsuitable for any kind of influence. I was a minor sitcom writer when we started Comet Relief, but I opened that door and then suddenly all the power from other people joins in with your good intentions. Mm -hmm. So if you try and do something, you'll find that it's not you on your own. So if a listener is is sat listening to this interview thinking, I'd like to know what's actually in my pension, what, what is it being invested in it? It's, do they go to, to the Make Money Matter website? I mean, is, where, where do you- Well, not really, there? actually. I mean, look, there's great stuff on there. And, you know, and it's also applying pressure in good places. We've managed to move 400 billion. No, not we. We're part of a movement that's got 400 billion into sustainable pensions this year. The thing to do is either, if you've got a financial advisor, ask them, am I in a sustainable pension? And like most people, if you've got a company pension, ask where it's going, demand to know whether it's in a default, which means you could be investing in pornography, gambling, deforestation and fossil fuels. And if it is, say, let's change because a huge number of people are. I mean, the other theme that I I think is really interesting in in a lot of your kind of recent sort of comments has been the role of business as a force for good, the role of business as the change maker on everything from pensions through to planet. And I watched our planet too big to fail, which I know you contributed to. And, you know, this, this phrase really sort of just really spoke to me when it said that many of us never had it so good, but the planet has never had it so bad. And, and the idea of, you know, this is bad business sense to to sort of, you know, th- th- actually there is a really strong business case. Explain that in terms of how you would phrase it, how you would pitch it to business leaders that are thinking about ESG, thinking about doing things differently. What What's the case as you see it? Well, look, I think that there is really things are shifting there. In a conversation I had with the Secretary General, he said on the Sustainable Development Goals, business has done better than government so far. And I think a huge number of business leaders are realizing that for every reason, they should use their amazing power. They suddenly become the necessary heroes 
of our planet. You know, not only do they help create jobs, you know, reinforce economies, but actually, if they improve their products, they may well sell more of them because there is a consumer revolution going on. If they want the best people working for them, people want to work for companies with, you know, high moral actions. And they have, and governments listen to businesses more, much more than charity people like me. So that you suddenly, it's like a guy waking up in a suit and a tie and suddenly saying, oh, I'm the next Mandela. I've actually got the ability. I've got money. I've got organization. And to be honest, if we don't sort things out, it's bad for every business. Mm. We've got a world on fire of tsunamis and mass migration. They're all going to lose money. Well, I think it's a fair observation about the PowerPoint. I think over two thirds of top 100 economies these days are companies, the power that corporations have. But I, I suppose this also leads to two roots. One is opportunity to be a change maker. But in, in the absence of that, it is the obligation and potentially the laws to make you so. I mean, some, some of my guests have turned around and said, well, look, you just can't you can't expect this cast of characters to be responsible. I presume you disagree with that, would you? Well, look, I think that it all goes along together. I would like this cast of characters. You know, I'm very good friends with Paul Pullman, who runs Unilever, and they've just done an extraordinary amount on this. But at the same time, you want governments. I mean, at the moment, we're looking for the government to do everything they can to push business, finance, investment, to, you know, aim for 1.5 by 2050. And... You know, just at the moment on the pension things, the government is trying to move trustees who are looking over their pensions and have always thought, oh, how much money do they make? What are the returns? To thinking, yeah, but what's the effect of those investments on the planet as well? So governments, obviously, I mean, it is that trio, governments, individuals and businesses. Mm. And then campaigners, by the way, and I'm massively, you know, my daughter's the most amazing campaigner. She worked on a, you know, period poverty campaign and they actually got the government to change the law. And I, I, you know, I couldn't be more hopeful that young people will be, you know, really noisy and powerful and they know how to use the Internet in a way that people like me don't. And they've grown up with a different experience. Is it is it different this time, though, in terms of, you know, a lot of young people, I mean, people that I've interviewed that were around in 1968, for example, interviewed Carrie Kennedy, talking about her father, Robert Kennedy, talking about the ripples of hope, talking about that period where real significant change seemed to be very much on the agenda. And then it receded. How do you keep the young hopeful in, in a world where you might not, get what you want when you want it? Well, that's a good question. I was just reading the Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech. And I mean, literally, it could have been delivered yesterday. Mm. Um, It really is. It really is extraordinary. Uh, I mean, I think it's an advantage that we live in our own present and we're not too haunted by the past. I think you can look back to the past, you know, for amazing examples of where progress did happen. I mean, I'm always dazzled by the fact that when World War II ended, the first thing the UK did was set up the NHS, which is still with us. What an extraordinary and sort of almost perverse reaction to suddenly democratise and make healthcare free. So I, I I think the new element in here is social media and the huge push of climate, Mm. you know, so we're really aware of poverty abroad in a way that we haven't been before and all around us, we're seeing this big new danger. Do do you think COVID 
tease that up in the same way that, you know, the tragedy of war did in terms of creating that catalyst for change? I mean, is, is this the, the real generational moment? It's certainly the biggest thing that's, that's happened in, in, a, in a fairly short century so far. Anyway, does it help to create that change around planet? Will we see more of that in COP26 this autumn, for example, in terms of I guess, some of that vision and some of that commitment to affect change? Well, you've got to hope so. You know, I mean, I hope that they're going to seriously plan vaccinating the world on, you know, be it Saturday or Sunday when they get round to it. That's the completely logical result of COVID to sort of democratise healthcare in order to protect other people, but also in order to protect and create, you know, health systems. So, I think it's up to all of us actually individually to take that message from COVID, not to think, oh, I've lost a bit of money, I must try and make a bit more money, but to say, this is an opportunity and a time, let's use it as that. Mm. I, I interviewed Gordon Brown quite recently. He's, he's got a new book out called Seven Ways to Change the World. And yes, I've it, got it here. Got it here. Are you doing a review, Richard? That's no, a, no. But it, it, it struck me that there's some quite clear thinking there in terms of actually this is the moment to grasp the nettle on things like vaccination, on on you know, on, on making change happen. But that cynicism, that a lack of belief that change can happen. Strife is not, not something that he spoke a lot about in the book, but it certainly came across in the interview that there is a, you know, a partner to, to, to sort of love and, and, and joy and hope. And, and that is the hopeless, the, the people that just don't believe that, that you can make change happen. But we are one planet. We are one, one people in that respect. In terms of what needs to happen next, I mean, presumably this is the biggest task of, of our lifetime that happens now. Yeah, you know, well, look, you know, I've often said cynics nose day hasn't raised a penny, um, whereas red nose day has raised quite a lot. You know, I think to some extent, one of the things about making change is don't be too distracted by those people who don't go along with you. If you think I've got to convince everyone, you, you, you will become discouraged. But if you're intelligent and you know, working really hard on spotting who your allies are, you know, that makes a difference. There's that famous quote, you know, don't think a few people can't change the world. In fact, it's only ever happened that a few committed people have changed the world. So I think the thing about people who are trying to build and change things is they have more ideas and they create more new things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that therefore they have more power than those people who sit back and say, no, nah, we, we won't get anywhere. I mean, and I suppose that there's a message there for people in their in their daily lives, which is that optimism is, is, is it a choice? Is it a behavior? What, 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 how, do you, how do you see it? Well, that's so interesting. Is optimism, you know, I mean, obviously so many of the damages in society are from people who have themselves been mistreated. And you've always got to allow for, you know, people to have their own experiences. I would say maybe then optimism and pessimism. I would look at trying to start and finish things. It was mm. very much my generation at university just talked about, you know, supporting Labour or Conservative and didn't seem to do anything. I always thought, get out of the pub. You know, if you care about the homeless, get out of the pub and go and, you know, help some homeless people and try and raise some money and, try and finish the thing you've started. You know, there's this brilliant woman, Josie Norton, who you should have on if you haven't, you know. She was working for Coldplay as an assistant. She watched about the refugees and now she runs Choose Love, Help Refugees, because she thought she had no experience. She thought, I can do something about this 
and she got it done. She designed the T-shirt. She set up the pop-up shop. Mm. You know, just do stuff. Well, and and I think the just do stuff is 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 a good message. I mean, because you know, I mean, a lot of people in in your position would be forgiven for saying, well, you know, you've done so many extraordinary things, you might want to put your boots up. But you, it feels like you've hardly got started on the in in terms of the, the the things that you're talking about today. But in terms of that kind of activist mindset, the kind of things that make you tick. I mean, is is there a formula there? Are there certain themes that you think you can you can share with us in terms of ideas to draw down on? It's just people that might think, well, actually, how do I make a difference? What can I do? Well, look, one is, is sort of partnership, is looking around you. So, you know, when I started Comic Relief, I was just me writing, not the man I got news, as it were. But there was every other comedian in the country who I could contact. You know, if you're a student at a university, check whether the university's pension fund is actually well invested. You've got thousands of other students around you. And then if that university does the right thing, then that university can apply pressure on all the universities. If you live in London, you know, you've got a progressive mayor, push that mayor. And then that mayor talks to 40 other cities. And Mm. then all those mayors talk to the people who run the country. So I think it's it's often a question of partnership, looking around you who can help. And then I think also you know, believe in a good idea. If you think you've got a good idea, go for it. Is there also something in that it's good to be emotional? Because when I look at like your films, I mean, I, w- I watched the beginning of Love Actually as part of my my research there, and I loved it. I have to say, I mean, I was like that, the, the actual sort of like gulp in the throat and the memory of actually how I felt about that movie last time is that quite often when you're in these kind of like leadership environments, board meetings, global summits, or what have you, that human touch is a long way away from the arrivals hall at Heathrow Airport. Well, that is very hard, you know, because obviously people, when they get emotional, are picked up on it. I mean, I've certainly, anytime I went to a comic relief meeting and I didn't at some point say, you know, this is the real reason we're all doing it and talk about some of my experience in projects and some of my experience with you know my family and mental health I've, I've always regretted it mm. so I do think that yeah you don't have to be cold and sharing the reason you're so passionate about something well as you say maybe emotional is the word, wrong word maybe it's passion or feeling but there is something about about you've got to feel it to be able to do something about it. Yeah, and you've got to also be willing to share. And that's, you know, we do live in a great age of where people are opening up more and there is more transparency. You know, mental health debate has really changed by everyone, you know, coming through with saying what they've been through themselves. So that's a really good point that when you go and see people, don't just present your business plan or your organization plan, try and get them on board emotionally as well. Mm. I want to finish this interview with with your quote for life. You can't be happier than than happy. Sounds like a sounds like a new film script coming our way, Richard. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, my film about time was really about that. You know, just try and enjoy the day, relish the moment. Uh, it was my dad's favorite thing. He always used to, you know, he had a very tough youth, and he used to when we complained and said, you know, we've gone to the We'd gone out to a restaurant. I wish we were in a better restaurant. He'd say, come on, we're having a lovely time. You can't be happier than happy. And I do think that's a great thing to, a great mindset. That has shifted my mindset. Mm. You know, don't, don't compare yourself to others. Just compare yourself to yourself and how, how it might have been worse. 
when you watch Shit's Creek, which you put down as one of your um of your sort of choices to watch, which uh, by the way I watched, I utterly loved it. But I would say happiness was what I took out of that family's adventure was that they found the truth of the meaning to that quote that you can't be happier than happy. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and then I think you then it's not a long journey to say I'd like other people to have that too. So you know, if you enjoy it in your own life. One of the great things about going to Africa, as I did, you know, when I was starting Comet Relief, the thing you come away with is the joy. That's the strange thing. People think you're going to come back and say, was everyone miserable? No, people are full of hope, ideas, initiative and everything like that. So, you know, it's something really to, to build on. Richard, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers and thank you for allowing me to read to you the opening lines, lines of your own script from I from tell you, you read it better than Hugh. Hugh, oh, well, hated, <laughs> Hugh I read it better than you. That. Right, listen, yeah. listeners, remember that. That's probably going to be on my epitaph. <laughs> okay, Thanks by the way, me. just before you go, every listener should just look into their pension. If you want to say, what change can I make today? Change your pension to a good one. Right. That's that's, that's I, the act for today. I think we've heard it. The essential yeah. next step for change. Richard, thank you. Really great to talk to you. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?